This is Inside Out, a podcast for event professionals where transparency is king. We're turning event professionals' businesses inside out, one interview at a time. As I always like to say, let's do this. On this episode, I am talking to Alex, owner of Vision in White Events. And I love that I got a chance to talk to another wedding planner because if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that transparency is a really big deal to me. I love that Alex was willing to come on and talk to another planner and just, for lack of a better term, pull back the curtain on her business and tell us all about how she got started, how she's built her successful company, and how she's grown it. Let's take a listen. All right. Hi, Alex. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to talk to you because you're the first wedding planner I've talked to um, on this podcast. And of course, I think wedding planner perspective is such a good perspective because we deal with all the vendors throughout the whole process. Um, but before we jump into your business, so you, you own Vision in White. Did you start Vision in White on your own or did you like from the ground up? Yeah, I did. Um, the fall of 2012 is when I um, kind of started working on like a website and getting the word out there that I was going to be starting this. Um, and then officially business license launch was January of 2013. Um, and I had worked with another planner, uh, for a couple of years before that. So I kind of got familiar with the area and how wedding planning actually worked. So technically, um, you know, I had that experience, but I started it all on my own. Awesome. Yeah. So that leads perfectly into you getting started and tell me a little bit about your background and kind of how you ended up where you are owning a wedding planning company. Yeah. So I grew up in a really small town in Michigan, um, my parents are still married, so that was pretty pretty standard. Had a, had a little brother, um, small town, so lots of gossip. Not my favorite place to go back to anymore, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. I went to Central Michigan University. Um, after I graduated from there, I went and worked at uh, the Disney Resort in Hilton Head Island. So mm -hmm. um, I worked there for about two and a half years. I was part of their recreation department. So kids activities, um, kind of planning a lot of like the events and activities that the kids were doing. Um, and I kind of just realized like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at planning this type of event stuff. And we would have um, like, we had one particular guest that came and they were planning on proposing. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I set up a dolphin tour for you? And you can go propose on the dolphin tour and we'll get a, a boom box there. Cause that was a thing back then. Um, a boombox right, there right. to play music and you could just do it on this boat. So then I was kind of like, okay, this is fun. Um, I started working with a planner in Hilton Head. I, well, I just kind of assisted with her on two or three different weddings just to kind of see how it went. Um, and then I ended up applying for the Disney weddings program that's in Orlando. Um, and basically somebody has to die to get a job there because once you're in, you're, you're there for life in that position. Sure. Um, so that didn't work out. And then I decided I was moving to Nashville. So, and that's when I started working for the other planner. Um, and then everything went from there. Yeah. So what is your degree in? Is it in anything along these lines or it's something totally 
Okay. Hospitality management. So I guess kind of, it's not really like the communications degree that a lot of event planners have, but it's still, um, you know, like hotel restaurant type thing. So similar. Yeah. So you always knew you kind of wanted to be maybe in events in some capacity, which is pretty cool. Cause I'm, I'm one of those, like I have a communications public relations degree and I thought I'd be working in professional sports and couldn't be further from that now. So <laughs> Yeah, when crazy. I was in college, I thought I wanted to manage Cedar Point, the amusement park in Ohio. I was like, I yes. just want to run Cedar Point because I used to love it there. I'm like, why not? And then it transferred to Disney and then it was like, okay, weddings, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that you scheduled a dolphin tour. That's so cute. <laughs> um, so so fast forward to you, you moved to Nashville and you start shadowing someone, which I think is kind of across the board, what almost any of us would say in this industry, right? It's the best way to get experience is to just find somebody who's doing what you want to do and just go shadow them and offer to work for them. Um, and you have a whole team now, which we'll get into in a little bit, but that, um, what, what made you go from shadowing that person and working with them to, you know, deciding like, I'm just going to do this on my own and take that leap? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, it was not the greatest ending to our working relationship. Um, mm -hmm. something happened on the way to a wedding that I was working for her and it just kind of, everything fell apart from there. So I just mm -hmm. knew that it wasn't a good fit to keep working for her anymore. Um, mm -hmm. and I was still working, of course, a full-time job, other places, restaurants and stuff like that. Um, so it was yeah. kind of easy for me to just work at the restaurants and then kind of start to build my own thing after I decided to leave there. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. Um, you know, we see a lot of people that want to get into this industry that um, are hesitant to work full time and try to do this on the side. And I think, would you, would you say that that's almost a necessity, right? Like to have something bringing money in while you're trying, cause this is not a get rich quick thing by any means. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't start, I guess it was about two and a half years into having mine that I know it was almost three years. It was three years. And before I finally stopped working my other jobs and said, okay, I'm just taking vision and white full time. So it yes. took me three years plus the two and a half years that I worked for this other person to really be able to do that. And a lot of people mm -hmm. when they, you know, we get these, these people that are like, I want to work for you. Do you have any jobs? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, you can assist on weddings, but I don't have anything full time for you for a while. <laughs> And yes, they, don't, they yeah. don't understand that. Yeah, those are those are hard. It's like the Disney job. I mean, they're hard positions to fill because full-time positions working for a wedding planner are so limited. You know, we have to work our butts off to get ourselves to full-time, let alone carrying other people, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell me about 2013. You know, as transparent as you want to be, like what did that year look like when you broke free from the other company and went out on your own? Um, in terms of like how many weddings you booked, how you were getting your name out there, um, and how you started gaining momentum. Yeah, so I was lucky at the time I was working at the Hermitage, um, the Andrew Jackson's home here in Nashville as one of their like weekend wedding event director people. So I was in with with them and the salesperson there liked me enough and supported my business enough to give me clients or recommend me to the clients that booked at the Hermitage. So I had eight weddings that first year and three or four of them were like ones that they had given me from the hermitage. So that was nice to at least get that experience under my name and get actual photos from weddings that I'd done to be able to use. Um, mm -hmm. 
And the other weddings that I had that year were just referrals from other people I knew in the industry. One of them was a friend of mine who got married. So I did her wedding. Um, so it was, you know, a lot of just people that I built relationships with and they helped me out and wanted to help me get my business going. Um, from there, it was, we really almost doubled every year after that on the number of weddings. Um, it was eight the first year, I think 13 or 14 the second year, um, and then up to 28 the third year. So it was always continuously growing. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, you kind of get into that transition of you're doing a lot of the month of clients, and then you start booking more of your partial and your full planning. So you maybe aren't growing as many, having as many weddings, but you're growing as far as doing higher packages and people are trusting you more with actually planning their event. Um, yes. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're still always growing, of course, except for 2020. Who knows what happened to 2020? Right, <laughs> right. Postponements and, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how it has gone for us uh, as far as like growth and momentum. And then that, that 2016 thing, that was when I realized I could really do it full time was kind of when I was like, okay, I'm good. I've got this. Yeah. Yeah. And you may not have an answer for this and, and that's okay if you don't, but was there a particular moment in your business, maybe even in that year of 2016, where you were like, like a specific moment, you're like, I really am onto something here. Like this is, I'm, I can really give this a go and it be my thing. Um, I guess I would probably say when I booked my first full planning client. Mm-hmm. And she's That's one of like my the best very good friends now. So it's, yeah, it's cool to be like, you were my first one. They didn't live here. They lived in Orlando and she just really trusted me. She was like, this has been the most fun wedding experience ever. I didn't have to do anything. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome for being my first full planning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And wedding planning, our packages, I feel like are just, it's such a, a different beast from some of the other vendors because you're exactly right in that it's like, sometimes you hear planners saying, well, we do you know, 50 weddings a year. And it's like, well, yes, but if they're all day ofs, then or month ofs, you know, how much are you really growing as opposed to if you're doing 12 full planning, you know, it's, it's a right. whole different ball game. So sometimes it's quality over quantity, right? Especially yeah. with wedding planning packages. Um, and we don't see that growth until we start getting those full planning clients, I feel, because um, that's really where you start making money. Yep. Um, so in those years as you were growing up until now, and we just are ignoring 2020 completely, um, what is one thing that you have done in your business, if you could go back in time, you would have done differently or change? And I know we always say like everything, you know, in the end, it probably worked out great. But is there anything where you're like, I, if I could go back, I, I wouldn't have done it that way, or I would have done something different? I guess the only real thing I can think of is, is kind of what you said as far as quant quality over quantity. Like, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day, I used to just be like, oh, they want to hire me and I'm going to get paid. So yes, I'm going to book everybody that wants to. And then mm -hmm. you start to realize that when people tell you they have a $10,000 budget and they want 400 people there, probably is not going to be the most fun wedding to plan. So mm -hmm. I think just, uh, I would have, I would look closer at the people that I'm booking and whether it's actually going to be worth it for me to, to work on this wedding with them. Yeah, absolutely. Cause we spend a lot of time with them. So yeah, exactly. it's gotta be a good fit. Yeah. So where are you now in your business? So you've kind of had all these things you've learned from and you've grown over the years. You have a very solid business and well-established now in Nashville. So tell me a little bit about what your company looks like now 
in comparison to just it being Alex in 2013? Yeah. So we have, um, I've got two associate planners on my team, um, Mm -hmm. plus myself as kind of the lead lead planner. And we have anywhere between like three and five assistants that kind of help out day of. Sometimes we have interns. It just depends on if, if someone's needing it for school or not. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so we've got us three lead planners and we all, um, wrote, you know, rotate really through the the weddings that we get, but you know, if I'm booked on this date and this person's available, then they become the lead on it. So, um, and of course they still are working their full-time jobs outside of vision and white and just kind of doing this on the side until we're able to fully commit to giving them this as a full-time gig as well. Um, but Yeah. yeah, so between the three of us, we usually, Probably, I would say we do between 12 and 15 weddings each per year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we, we actually just, we have a new girl that just um, started and is joining as an, a lead associate planner. So she hasn't technically even booked anything yet, but um, but between me and Logan, who's working with me now as a lead, um, we'll probably do about 12 to 15, like I said, so about 30 a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So where do you see that going five years from now? Kind of what's your, I wouldn't say that's super long-term, but kind of immediate long-term goal. Yeah. Um, I would love to get both of those associate planners as full-time. I know that's what they want to do. They want to be in weddings and events as their, as their main gig. So I would love to be able to figure out how to do that. Um, and then mm-hmm. potentially me take a step back and not do as many weddings um, myself as the lead. So I would maybe do like eight full planning a year and then let the girls take all the rest of them. Um, yeah. At one point I did do florals. I still sort of do florals. I'm by no means like was trained in it or anything. Um, but I did that <laughs> a couple of years ago. You know, I just kind of mentioned that to my brides and say, if you want me to do this, I'm happy to do it. Kind of took a step, step back in 2020, um, not only because of COVID, but I was just burnt out on doing the flowers. It's very stressful keeping them alive. <laughs> um, yes. But maybe if I'm not doing as much on the planning side, um, maybe I'd feel more comfortable doing more of the floral stuff again. So we'll see about that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, that was going to be one of my questions for you is if you, you know, long-term planned on really staying in the thick of it, because I think that, you know, for us, it's, it's a hard work. It's a lot of work and it's hard work and it's even more work. I know as you're learning along the way, like with my team and my, I have three leads that work with me and it's it's almost a full-time job just keeping momentum for them and keeping things moving for them and answering their questions and refining templates for them and then it's like and then after all that I still have my clients and some days it really feels like maybe the ultimate goal is for me to be the kind of back end of everything and let them be in the forefront because after years of doing this you start start wearing down a little bit yeah. So my, my fiance and I talk about that all the time. He's like, what do you want to do with your business? Do you want to be like a multi-million dollar wedding planner? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> that is not my game. I do not plan on taking this huge. I like my little boutique, small group of people that I can get close with as far, you know, my, my planners and we're a tight knit team and that's where I feel comfortable being. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're at the point now, I'm sure, where you're having to turn people away, which is a very hard thing to do when you own a business is to tell people no when, like you said earlier, when they're offering you money and you could get paid and you're like, oh, we can't or we're yeah. not, we don't have the planner for that. So that's yeah. a that's a balancing act for sure. 
especially with all of the COVID postponements and all of the 2021 dates being taken. It's like, how am I going to do two years worth of weddings in one year? Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. And and not only that, leaving dates open to account for potential reschedules now from this spring that we're looking at. That's kind of been our hardest thing is what is, you know, yeah, I could book out my leads for the fall and easily book them for every Saturday right now, probably double up on some of the weekends. But then it's like, I leave not one weekend open for some of these couples that may have to reschedule in the next two or three months. And that's very stressful. Yeah, I didn't, honestly, I didn't even think about that. I guess they'll have to do Friday or Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am. Well, don't feel bad. My, my one lead planner, she was like, I think I'm going to say no to the rest of October, just so I have a couple days for these potential reschedules. I was like, Oh, you're, you're more business savvy than me. I was going to book them. Yeah. That's I'm so glad you said that. Plus I've been trying to keep, like, I want to say I've got three weekends open, three or four weekends open between September and November that I was trying to keep open for my own wedding. And I was like, I keep getting inquiries for these dates. And I'm like, I can't say no to talking to them, but I, I need this date at least to be available if the venue I like has that date available. So that's been another thing. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, story of a planning a wedding is a whole added element, but even just in our normal lives, you know, that balance act of, do I want to commit a whole, do I want to give up a whole month of weekends yeah. or do I like give myself a break and, and say no to some of these. And I think ultimately, and that pretty much has been true with all of the interviews I've done, even for this podcast is that saying no is kind of one of the harder pieces of owning a business in this industry, especially is, you know, being confident enough to say no, knowing something else is behind them that will continue your income because yeah. we work contract to contract, not paycheck to paycheck. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's definitely tricky. So Here's it. I think probably going to be one of the most interesting questions coming from a planner. Um, when you're working with other vendors on wedding days, um, what would you want those vendors to know about the job you do? And and I ask that question mainly because I know there's so many stereotypes about wedding planners. Um, I always joke about how many emails I get about people who want jobs because they love JLo in the wedding planner, because that's like the, their view of what we do, which is the farthest thing, you know, from the truth. But what is something, if you could, if you could kind of blast a message out to all the vendors you work at, that work with, that you would want them to know about the job that you do, what would that be? You know, I, this is funny that you asked this because I was talking to a photographer yesterday and I don't know if the way I do vendor recommendations is the way other planners do vendor recommendations, but what I do, because my clients obviously are, they're booking me to figure out their budget and to keep them in budget and then also guide them on their vendors that will work with their budget. So mm-hmm. when I reach out to photographers, for example, um, you know, I say, this is what we're looking for in our package. This is our budget. Do you have a package that could work or what would the price be for this or whatever it is? And this photographer in particular, she was like, it's kind of weird that like, I don't even get to talk to this couple or find out why they maybe booked somebody else. It's just like, I'm sending you pricing and then I don't hear anything back. And I'm, I'm like, that totally makes sense. And I need to be better about following up with my vendors that they don't book and telling them why. But I I had to kind of explain, like, I'm playing the middleman between my clients and you guys. And I need to make sure that if I'm recommending somebody that it's going to work with their budget, not that I'm sending them a photographer that's a thousand dollars more than what they can afford, have them fall in love with them and then realize that they can't afford them or sending them somebody that might not be available and having them fall in love with them. 
So that's kind of what, what I'm trying to do. And I just had to explain that to her that my couple is who is paying me and that's whose back I have to have in this process. So, so that was a good one, good one to kind of explain to everybody. Cause I'm sure a lot of people wonder that, like, why don't we even get to talk to this couple that you're recommending us for? Um, and yeah. I don't really even know an answer to that. If you have an answer to that, I would love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I honestly have never thought of that, but I, I really, I mean, 100% hear what you're saying and totally agree it on our end. I think the sheer number of emails that we send is just, I think, I know every vendor is always in their inbox, but you know, we take our job and it's like, well, when we look at one vendor category photographer, I mean, exponentially we're sending out, you know, we're maybe emailing four or five photographers, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the client. And then you multiply that by how many clients you have, then times how many vendors they're looking at. And it's like, how could you possibly track and stay sane? All the vendors right. you've emailed enough to follow up and say they went a different direction. Yeah. Um, that's really, I mean, I know I always appreciate and I don't mind at all when vendors reach out to me and say, Hey, what about this one? You emailed me and I never heard anything. Then I'm, of course, and I'm sure you are too more than happy to tell them why. Yeah. Um, but you know that, and sometimes maybe you see this, like, I hate when I, I love a vendor for a couple and I'm like, this is such a good fit. And the couple doesn't like them. And it's like, how do you go back and tell somebody, I'm sorry, they don't like your work. Like, yeah. It's yeah. such a personal, you know, that's, and you're right. We, you know, we work for the client. So our job is to find the best fit efficiently and get it in front of them. Right. Um, but I love that because you're right. There are probably a lot of vendors that don't realize that that's just not something we can really do. You yeah. know, I told myself in 2021, I was going to be better about letting all the vendors know that they didn't book them. But so far, 19 days in, I have not been better. <laughs> I've not been better. Yeah, that's a, I, I just, I can't even off the top of my head think of how you would track that, you know, just the sheer amount of time to write down every vendor you had emailed, then go back and email them again. Yeah. Um, and I can see that turning into a lot of back and forth too, because if you say they didn't love the price point, then it becomes a, well, maybe we can get this price down by removing something. And, and it's a lot of, it's a lot, it would be yeah. a lot for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's really, that's really great advice because we don't know what other people think about us. Right. When we're like, yeah, as the wedding planner, we're just hoping they think we're doing what's in their best interest. Right. Um, and as a photographer, it would be very frustrating at, in, as an example of photographer, but anyone for a couple to not pick you and to not know why mm -hmm. that's tough. Um, what about on a wedding day? What, what could vendors, what do you think vendors could know to work better with you or planners in general um, on a wedding day to help make everything run smoother? Yeah, so we send out probably too much information always the Monday before the wedding. So they're going to get their timeline, their floor plan, the vendor list, um, phone numbers for the wedding party, all of that sort of information the Monday beforehand. So they have five days to fully prepare and know what they're coming into and five days to ask me questions if something seems weird or if they need to change something, whatever it is. Um, so I always kind of expect my vendors like know what's going on, come in and let's just have a smooth wedding day. Um, I mm -hmm. don't want them to think that I'm going to come over or come in and take over what they're doing and 
direct the the photographer on well you need to pose these people this way you need to pose these people this way or the caterer and say you need to get your food out there faster like that's not my thing that's their thing I'm not going to come in and micromanage and I don't I hear these horror stories about how some planners come in and they're just yelling at vendors and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, that's so not my thing. Like who needs that extra stress on a wedding day? Right. That's already stressful. We we're laid back. We want everybody to handle their own job and do what they're supposed to do. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a big one. Like, I don't want vendors to be like, Oh God, they have a planner. Great. They're going to be bossing us around all day. Like I want them to be like, Oh, it's vision and white they're going to let us come in and do our thing and they'll step in if something goes terribly wrong and they need to fix it. But mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and I mean, I feel like I wouldn't want a DJ coming up to me and telling me how I need to be lining up the processional for the ceremony. So mm -hmm. I get it in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. I think we do get a wrap for kind of, um, you know, especially when you're working with vendors, you don't know, um, you know, sometimes people come in and kind of, I don't chip on their shoulder a little bit. Like they feel like you're there to tell, to boss them around. Like you think you're in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm the exact same way on a wedding day that you're explaining. I have the same approach that you have, like the, everybody on your team is professionals and this is what they do. Like I don't cater multiple weddings a weekend. So I have no business in the kitchen telling them what to do. <laughs> like, cause right. I don't know. Um, and that's really the point, I guess, of this podcast is to help understand better. But at the same time, I'm, I'm with you. Like nobody needs that added stress of me banging my clipboard around and, you know, bossing people around. That's so crazy. But there are certainly planners who do that for sure. And that's kind of gives us all a reputation for that, which is really unfortunate. But yeah. I love hearing you say that. Yeah, so, it's always great when it's a new or a new vendor that I'm working with. And they're like, this was so great working with you. You're so calm. You never add any extra stress. It's such a smooth day. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to portray to everybody. Planners are not all right. crazy. <laughs> right. And it is that like, that's what we're getting paid to do is to make it less stress, stressful, easier on everybody. You know, I, I train my team with a vendor first approach. So when, when I hire new planners and assistants, I, you know, give them this whole spiel about, and we go through a training on it of like vendors come first and clients come second. And that's really backwards for a lot of people, but it's also a very hospitality um, mindset. But if you can make your vendors happy, if you can make sure that the whole vendor team is happy and they feel trusted and they're confident in the job they're doing, then they're the ones who go out and make the client feel good. The servers are friendlier, you know, the bartenders are more fun the DJ is more involved. Like they all just feel like they're trusted to do their job and ultimately they do their job better, which means in the end, less work for us. I think, you know, less fires to put out when everybody's running like a well-oiled machine. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So going back to your, the business side of things um, and vision and white, what is one piece of advice that you would give other entrepreneurs or people who are getting into this field, whether they want to be planners or any other vendor category, if you just have advice for planners, um, what's one piece of advice that you would give someone who's starting their business in this industry? I guess kind of going back to the, what I said earlier about kind of going with your gut on decisions and not working with people that might not be a good fit. So if you, if you don't feel like it's going to be the right fit for you, don't do it. Um, if you do decide to do it, I guess it's going to be a learning experience either way, but <laughs> that's just kind of my one thing is I've got to trust my gut more now and not have people take advantage and, and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I love that. That's so hard to do. It's so easy to say, but so hard to do, but it's really yeah. great advice. Yeah, well, thank oh, you so much for one. being, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I thought of another one. No, um, I love it. For, <laughs> for the the new people coming in, not to come in and undercut everybody else because eventually you're going to be the one that needs to charge more and then someone else is going to come in and undercut you and it's just not not a good way to do the pricing situation. So come in and, and be what you're worth as far as price. Yes. And I love that you say be what you're worth because I was talking to, I forget which episode it was on now. It'll come to me probably after this, but we were talking about undercut pricing and I have such like mixed emotions about it because I do feel that somebody who's brand spanking new cannot charge, cannot possibly charge what I charge or you charge who've been doing this for a long time because they don't bring to the table what we bring to the table. Right. Um, and so it, I think, especially with planners, but probably with any vendor, you get what you pay for. And, you know, if you want to hire someone like vision and white, or, you know, anyone from your team who has years of experience, that's worth more money, you know, that yeah. they have to pay for that expertise. And if they want to, if, if somebody comes out and charges $500 for day of that client's probably not going to be very thrilled with the experience. Exactly. So, um, which ultimately gives us all a, a bad name, but, um, or can potentially, but, um, it's, it's kind of like a very weird balancing act. It's like, they can't charge a lot, but they also, you know, it's, it's tough to explain the value to a client because I think, especially in our case, people don't see our value until they're really in the thick of it. And most of the time, right. It's like towards the end of the wedding day, they really realize how much you did for them. Um, and it all just kind of clicks and they're so grateful, but it's hard for them to see that when they're writing the check on the very front end. Right. Um, and so sometimes those lower numbers look really appealing, which is so unfortunate for us, but, yeah. but I love that advice. That's really good advice as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and chatting with me. I'm sure this is going to be so helpful for not just planners, but really any vendor. So I really appreciate it. Good. I hope so. Yeah, of course. You guys, it seriously never gets old for me to talk to all of these vendors about their businesses. I think it's so crazy that we're six episodes in. We've talked to a bunch of different vendors, florists, hair and makeup, photographer, planners, and the business advice is unique and different every single time. And what I love about that is it means you can take pieces of each episode and apply them to your business, your location, your industry, whatever the case may be and make it work for you. I just think that's such a unique perspective and such a cool way to grow your business and be a better part of a vendor team. Speaking of teams, if you're not on planwell.com yet, you've got to get over there and create a profile. We have some really exciting things being announced later this week, which I wish I could tell you, but if you're listening to this later, you already know. If you're listening to this on release day, it's coming down the line for you and it's going to be huge. So go over, create your profile, set up your calendars so that you can start connecting with other vendors. Until next week.